want to quickly remind you, if you're a first-time guest or maybe it's been a while and you're kind of visiting us again anew, uh, we'd like to get some information uh, from you. Uh, there are visitors' cards that should be in front of you in the pew backs. Uh, go ahead and fill those out. We're going to pass the plate after a while. Feel free just to put that in the plate so we can have your information. Um, all right, we're going to jump into our sermon. We're going to do it in two parts this morning, uh, keeping you on your toes and uh, awake this morning, hopefully. Uh, we have been in the book of Judges, and so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to get them out. Always good to bring your Bible with you, and we will be in Judges chapter 2 this morning uh, in our series on Judges called The Downward Spiral. Uh, This morning I've entitled our sermon, uh, Tears and Testing. Tears and Testing. So we're going to try to make our way through chapter 2 of Judges and into a little bit of chapter 3 of the book of Judges. Uh, So Judges chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. Uh, I want to start off with a quick story um, about one of our uh, past presidents by the name of Calvin Coolidge, uh, may have heard that name back from, you know, history in grade school or something, but he was one of our presidents way back when. Uh, he was our 30th president, actually. And a quick story uh, that is told uh, about Calvin Coolidge. Uh, he went to church one morning, as he typically did, and uh, for whatever reason, his wife was unable to make it that morning, probably watching the kids or something to that degree. Anyways, he uh, got home from church and um, his wife asked him, you know, what was the sermon about? What did the preacher preach on uh, that Sunday morning? And really shortly, uh, he didn't really want to go into it too much. And so he said, the preacher preached on sin. That's what he talked about, sin. And that wasn't quite sufficient enough uh, for the wife. And so she prodded him a little bit more. And she said, well, what did you have to say about it? And to which he replied, well, I think he was against it. <laughs> Indeed so. Uh, this morning, we're going to jump into Judges chapter 2. If you were with us last week, we were in Judges chapter 1, and we saw God's people, uh, the Israelites, choosing to live uh, with their enemies, choosing to disobey God, not to kick out uh, the people in the promised land that they were supposed to inherit. Instead, they made covenants with those people and allowed them to, to stay with them. And so they disobeyed God in chapter 1. And as we get into Judges chapter 2, um, there really is no question as to what God is going to say about the subject of sin, about the subject of disobedience. In Judges chapter 2, we're going to get what I would consider God's divine commentary, if you will, on his people's disobedience. So what does God do? What does he think? What does he have to say when those who have been redeemed by him are his children, uh, know him, disobey? So this morning I have a couple, a couple goals. I hope we're going to see a couple things. Uh, we're going to learn about disobedience as God's children. So this morning, uh, if you come and you uh, have come to know God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, you have been uh, renewed, born again, uh, you're a Christian, if you will. If that fits uh, you, describes you, what we're going to learn this morning is a couple things uh, about disobedience as God's people. And so we're going to have a two-part sermon, and the first thing we hope to see uh, this morning is that the result of disobedience, the result of disobedience is tears. That is, it hurts. It's not good. Secondly, as we kind of get back into our sermon, uh, we're going to see the response of God, the response of God to our disobedience, and that is testing. That is, God tests us in our disobedience. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, chapter 2. Uh, the first thing we see as we get into the story is the angel of the Lord um, is going to come up upon the scene. Uh, and so we can go ahead and, and flip to that. Uh, we're going to see a divine rebuke in verses 1 and 2. Remember, chapter 1, we saw uh, God's people uh, slowly but surely de- deteriorate, compromise, and disobey God's command. And so God now is going to have 
his word with them, and he sends the angel of the Lord. Uh, a quick aside, uh, the angel of the Lord uh, shows up several times in the book of Judges, several times in the, uh, throughout the Old Testament, and uh, several commentators, including myself, uh, tend to believe that this is possibly uh, Jesus before he came to earth. We call it a pre-incarnate Christ. This could be Jesus himself, uh, because he speaks as if he is God. That being said, uh, God comes to speak to his people, and he gives them a divine rebuke. Let's take a look at it, starting in verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. Verse 2. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But... You have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? Let's jump back to verse 1. We see a couple things in this d- divine rebuke uh, from God uh, in the midst of a disobedient people. The first thing that we see is he really reminds them of three things. And so he kind of reminds them, I'm a faithful God, even though you are unfaithful. He reminds them of uh, three things, really. Uh, The first thing he reminds them is of God's past faithfulness. Notice verse 1. And he said to them, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. And so he says, I have been nothing but faithful to you. I brought you up as a people out of Egypt. I brought you by my mighty hand into the land that I promised you. I have been completely faithful to you. Not only does he remind them of God's faithfulness, but he reminds them of his uh, promise to give them this land. He says, I said to you, I will never break my covenant with you, which is very ironic. It must must have been stinging because this is exactly what we do as God's people when we disobey him. We break our covenant with him. But God says, I promised to give you the land and I did not fail. I did not break my covenant with you. You, you. You have the land. Thirdly, he reminds them of his commandments to them. I brought you up as a people, I gave you this land to inherit, and I gave you some commands, I gave you some guidelines, I gave you some boundaries for your own good, for your own joy, but this is what uh, you have have broken, these commands. And he says in verse 2, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. That is, you're not supposed to make a deal with them, you're not supposed to let them stay, you're not supposed to barter with them, you're supposed to kick them out. Secondly, You shall break down their altars. He says, these are the commandments that I gave you. Very clear, for your good. But, we see the divine rebuke. He says very clearly, but, but, you have not obeyed my voice. This is what I told you you should do. This is what you did. You did not obey my voice. And then we see him ask the angel of the Lord what I would call a self-incriminating question. Because if the people of God were to answer correctly, they were, in a, in a sense, uh, be incriminating themselves. He says, what is this that you have done? This, I think, we see just a touch of God's heart uh, when we as his people uh, disobey. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's from a broken heart. You really see God's emotions, if you will, come, come forth in this question. He says, you haven't obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? I, I see it as, as, a, as a parent who uh, is talking to a disobedient child who has done something against the parent's will and has harmed their life, has harmed themselves, and the, and the parent is looking at the child and the consequences of that disobedience 
disobedience in the child's life and they say with a broken heart, why have you done this? Why have you done this? What is this that you have done? And so we see a divine rebuke in verses 1 and 2, and that leads us um, to our first principle. And our first principle is simply this. I think it's on the screen. God rebukes us in love. God rebukes us in love. And so if you are a believer uh, here this morning, you've come to know God through faith in Jesus. Um, from time to time, as we need it, God will indeed rebuke us. And he does that. We see very clearly God rebuking his people, uh, the nation of Israel, then. But he does so in love. He does so because he loves us. He rebukes us because he wants us to change. He rebukes us because he knows that his way is the best way. And we have not followed that path. So this is the principle that we have. God rebukes us when we disobey. Um, Again, becoming a parent, uh, as many of you parents know, kind of opens up your eyes uh, to a lot of the scripture, I think. And so I see things uh, through, I guess, fatherly eyes now. And so I'll very often share from my experience there. Um, as parents, we have to do a lot of rebuking. And I'm discovering that even children as young as my son, who is one years old, needs some rebuking <laughs> from time to time, even though he may not be willfully doing things, although maybe he is. But this one's not so much. He, uh, he enjoys bath time. Uh, my son really enjoys bath. We got a lot of toys, and he loves the bath. And so on occasion, even when it's not bath time, he'll run into the, the bathroom, and he'll look, you know, at all of his toys that are still in the bathtub, and he, he wants to get in. You know, it's not bath time, but he wants to take a bath. And so on occasion, um, he'll run in there, and I'll see him kind of looking and for his toys. One time, maybe about a week ago, um, I was by myself, and uh, Asher was kind of running around the house, as he typically does, and I was trying to get some work done. And he uh, found his way into the bathroom, which he shouldn't have. I should have shut the door, but I didn't. And uh, he found his way into the bathroom, and he was playing, and it was fine. And so I thought, I better go check on him. You know, should leave him in the bathroom too long. So I went into the bathroom, and of course he was, uh, if the tub is here, kind of waist level to him, was kind of looking over, and there was a tub full of toys, and he was reaching for his toys. Uh, but not only was he reaching, he was doing this kind of thing, reaching for his toy. And I could tell that his little head was going to carry him right into the bathtub. And so I said, Asher, don't. And did he obey? Of course not. And so I, I literally, I, I, I can see it in my mind's eye. He is going over. His feet leave the ground. His head is tumbling forward. And I run and grab his little leg like I'm grabbing this and snag him from the throng of death. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm a good father. (laughs) The point being is that when we often as parents, uh, loving parents, as as a loving father, we rebuke our children, we often do it because we know what's best for them. We want their behavior to be in line with what we want because we love them. We know what's best. This is exactly what God is doing to his people. And this is exactly what God does for you and I when we are not in line with him. He rebukes us because he loves us. So the question for us this morning, thinking applicationally, is uh, what might God in your life right here and right now be wanting to rebuke you for? How might God be wanting to give you a divine rebuke? What is it, maybe in your life, to where you're headed over, heads over, over heels into the tub, and God wants to rebuke you for that? Could be, uh, could be anything. And I think God does it 
in numerous ways. I think one of the ways that he rebukes us as his children um, is just by allowing us to suffer the pain, the inevitable outcome of our sin, the inevitable outcome of our disobedience. He allows us to feel what that pain, what those consequences are, and we're going to talk about consequences in a bit, so that it's kind of a, it's kind of a wake-up call. In fact, C.S. Lewis, I think I have this quote up here, C.S. Lewis, uh, one of my favorite quotes, says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So this morning, maybe you are feeling some of the consequences, some of the pain of areas of disobedience in your life, and it's painful. That may be God shouting through the megaphone to you, wanting, wooing you back towards him. He could do it a ton of other ways, too. Through a sermon, God actually might rebuke you through a sermon. Sunday school class, life group discussion, maybe a personal Bible study or a Bible study that you're doing in a group. Maybe it's just a, in the quietness of your prayer time and God whispers something to you. Maybe it's through the voice, and I've, I've found out that it's often this way. Maybe it's through the voice of a wise and caring friend or maybe an insightful spouse who you don't care to listen to at the time, but you know that they're speaking the truth. First principle we see is that God rebukes us when we disobey. As we move along, uh, we've seen the divine rebuke in verses 1 and 2. In verse 3, we see the consequences of that. God says, this is uh, what you've done. This is what I've told you to do. You've not done it. So here are the results that I'm going to allow you to suffer. Verse 3. So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. That is the inhabitants of the land. I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become, and notice the imagery, thorns in your sides, and their gods shall become snares to you. We see the consequences here that God is giving, and we see really three consequences for God's people. Uh, first, we see that God would not give them victory. Again, verse 3, so now I say, I will not drive them out before you. And so while God said, if you uh, uh, seek to be faithful and obedient to me, I'm going to give you the land that I promise. I will give you victory, but since you are not... I will not give you victory. Second, they're going to be subdued by the Canaanites that remain. Notice he says, but they shall become a thorn in your side. When you look at other scriptures, uh, we see, I think, pretty clearly that what this means is that the inhabitants that they're going to leave, they're going to uh, give them pain. They're going to give them sorrow. And what we see in the book of Judges is that the people that they allow to remain in in the land, they make them their servants. They make them their slaves, and they shouldn't. But what's going to happen is that those people that God's people allow to remain are actually going to rise up and take over Israel. So they are going to be subdued by them. Thirdly, third consequence is that they're going to fall into idolatry. Not only are these people going to take, uh, take them over, but they're going to be wooed and sub, sub, uh, subdued and subducted by these pagan gods, by these foreign altars that they allow to remain in their land. It says, and their gods... Their gods shall be a snare to you. So here we see very clearly uh, that God rebukes his people and that God gives divine consequences for the sins, for the disobedience of his people. I want to point out here just some of the vivid imagery, I think, that God is using to show us what the consequences of our sin and our disobedience is like. Notice the imagery. He says, They shall become thorns in your sides, and they shall be a snare, like a a trap, set, just waiting to clamp 
on you. But the one that I really stands out to me is thorns in your side. Um, I want to sh- there, perfect. Uh, show a quick picture here. I don't know if you've ever had a thorn anywhere, a thorn in your hand or in your foot or anything like that. Uh, where I'm from, down in South Texas, we have these things called sticker burrs. And I tried to do some re- research on sticker burrs. I don't think that's the technical name, but that's what we call them. And uh, I think they're kind of, I think they're, they're somewhat native. Any, any of you guys seen anything that looks like this ever before? Okay, on a, a little, yeah, Mike, of course. You know what I'm talking about exactly. Um, they're called sticker burrs. They're quite, quite plentiful and bountiful where I come from. And this, this comes to mind. This image of uh, the consequence of our sin being like one of these things stuck in our flesh, deep down in our flesh. Now, the bad thing about these, uh, show the next uh, slide if we will. The bad thing about these, you can see them. When you go walking through a field that has sticker burrs, you will inevitably have many Many sticker burrs stuck in your shoes, stuck in your socks, stuck around your ankles, stuck in your hands. Uh, quick story, when I played um, football uh, down in South Texas, uh, <laughs> for some reason they thought that having sticker burrs on our practice field would be good training for football. <sighs> Let's just say that I spent many a minutes picking these kind of things here and here and here and here and here and here. Plentiful. You can imagine playing football and these kind of things. And, and so the consequences of sin that God is pointing out, he, 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 he uses this image to make a point. When we disobey God, it's like a thorn in our side. It hurts. If you've ever had a sticker or a thorn embedded in your flesh, it's not pleasant. It's painful. And that's exactly what our disobedience causes us. It's painful. Not only that, but it's hard to get out of. Oftentimes, the consequences of our sin that God allows us to go through take time. It, it's, not, it does, it's not alleviated immediately, as it took many, many minutes picking out sticker burrs from my various articles of clothing. Not only that, it makes life, it makes life difficult. I mean, imagine picking those out of your socks every day. It's just not fun. It makes life difficult. And that's exactly what the consequences of disobedience are for us. So the second principle that we see here up on the screen, disobedience has consequences. We've seen the first principle. God rebukes us when we disobey. Oftentimes, our disobedience, secondly, has consequences. So, helping us think applicationally a little bit this morning. Disobedience has consequences. What, as you think through your life, as you sit in the pew... As I stand here, up here, possibly you might be in the middle of what I would call some divinely allowed circumstances because of your disobedience. And you know exactly that disobedience to God's standards, to his ways, as his children, causes, causes trouble. Your marriage this morning uh, may be in not a good state. It may be in a big mess. And it may be, uh, in a large part, thinking about yourself because you have failed to be selfless and the sacrificial husband that God has called you to be. And so your marriage is not what it should be. Disobedience has consequences. Maybe you've not been the submissive and supportive wife that God has called you to be. And disobedience has consequences. As you look at your family life, your kids uh, may be starting to hang out with the wrong crowd. They may be starting to get into the wrong things. Uh, It seems like it's kind of a circus and it's out of control. There are a lot of reasons why that could be, but it's possible that 
early on. You didn't model a vibrant relationship with Jesus. You didn't set very clear standards of authority and, and boundaries. And so you're reaping the harvest of what you sowed. Maybe your friendships are kind of like a mini-drama. It's just, uh, it's just chaos. It's kind of here or there. Uh, and that may be because you have failed to heed God's relational standards to love people the way that you want to be loved, loved uh, to treat them the way that you want them to treat you, to forgive people, even when they don't forgive you, to listen before you speak. The simple principle this morning is I don't know what you're going through, but I think all of us would attest that our disobedience to God as his children often yields thorn-like consequences. We've seen a couple points. We've seen that God rebukes us when we disobey, and we've seen that disobedience leads us uh, to some consequences. Thirdly, in verses 4 and 5, we see the response of God's people. God has rebuked his people. He said, these are going to be the consequences. And then we see God's people respond. And so we see that in verses 4 and 5. It says this, As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and they wept. They cried. There were tears. Verse 5. And they called the name of that place Bokim in Hebrew. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. The principle that I want us to see here is that disobedience often leads to pain. This is the third principle that we see. Is that disobedience often leads to pain. Here we see God rebuking his people. And the people respond. Uh, as soon as the angel stopped uh, speaking, it says that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. They cried. So we see the result of disobedience is tears. They called the name of that place Bokim, which is significant because Bokim in Hebrew means weepers, weeping ones, to weep. And so they named that place. They wanted to remember that that was the place where God had rebuked them and they responded by weeping, by feeling the pain of God's rebuke. We're kind of left, as the story transitions, as we'll talk about here in a minute, we're kind of left wondering, was this a genuine repentance? You know, did they really respond to God rightly? Uh, it says that they offered sacrifices to him, uh, which can be done out of a pure heart or out of a selfish heart. Um, we're kind of left with the question, they respond by weeping and sacrificing. Is it legitimate are they hurt? Are they weeping? Are they doing this because they genuinely feel the weight of sin and they feel the holiness of a bright and awesome God? Or is it just, oh man, we're not going to have the land. Oh man, God has slapped us on the wrist. We really don't know, but as we continue to read through the rest of the judges, sufficient enough to say that this was not, in my opinion, a real legitimate Repentance. I think probably what they were doing is they were crying over the consequences of their, of their sin rather than the sin itself. They were crying over the fact that they were going to get dealt consequences rather than being hurt and devastated as, as God's people should when we break God's heart. Um, quick story. We were over the Christmas break with my wife's family and uh, she has a, how old is Liani? Three, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Maybe he's six now. Anyway, I'm a great uncle. You can tell. Um, 
Anyways, the little one, uh, her name's Liani, and uh, she has been in her terrible twos now for about two years. Uh, I think she started about one and a half, and she's still in it in three. And she's a great kid, but she's certainly strong-willed. And uh, on, on, on occasion, um, she will act up, she will rebel, uh, she will not do explicitly what her mom said. And I don't remember the specific instance, maybe it was she was failing to eat her green beans. I don't know what it was, but her mom told her, you do this. And she said, no, (laughs) and she did not do it. And so there were consequences to her disobedience, and that was a timeout. And so as Liani, I just remember vividly in my mind, she was going to the corner for timeout, and she was wailing and bawling and carrying on and so upset. And as I thought about this this idea here of God's people, they lifted up their voices and they wept. I kind of had to wonder, and I don't, I don't know this little three-year-old heart, so I'm not going to definitively say, but I kind of wonder, she was lifting up her voice and crying, but was she really upset that she had disobeyed her mom? Or was she just upset that she was standing in a corner apart from the family? You know what I mean? I think that the latter is what happened here for God's people. And so we see the third principle. Disobedience leads to pain. Uh, this is very much related to the consequences idea. It's kind of a takeoff. Not only are there consequences when we disobey God, uh, it, it's painful. As a believer, it's, it, it causes us harm. Um, when trust, maybe in our marriage, has been broken, it's painful. It's been torn apart, and it, it hurts. We feel the, the pain of maybe uh, that our finances are just a mess, and we're, you know dead up to here and we've not made wise decisions and we we feel the pain of that sometimes. When we have friends who don't call us any longer, they're not our friends, in fact they gossip behind our back, we feel the pain of our sin and of others' sins. It's, It's painful. And so we've seen these principles this morning, we've seen that the result of our disobedience is tears. Um, we're going to end the second part of our sermon on a little bit better note, but we have to get here before we get there. Uh, so by means of transition, um, I want to summarize kind of what's in the rest of this book. We're going to jump into chapter 3 next time I'm up here. But essentially what we find, if you continue to, and I really encourage you to do this, go home, Read through Judges. Read the rest of chapter 2. But essentially what we see is the first section, there's a historical review of Joshua. Remember, Joshua was the leader before he died. There's a historical review. And essentially what it says is, when Joshua was alive and that generation was alive, they followed God. But when that generation died off, as I said in the email, there was a new generation that came up and they did not follow God. Hence leading to the whole mess of the book of Judges. Then in verses 11 through 23, we see the cycle of sin. You remember the three S's? Anybody remember? Sin, slavery, salvation. Okay, it's okay. It's been a couple weeks. We, we hit this on the very first time we were in Judges. We see the cycle of Judges. They sin. God leads them into slavery. And then he raises up a judge to deliver them. This is what we see in the rest of chapter 2. As we get into chapter 3, we've seen the response of God's people. Uh, God rebukes them. There are consequences. They respond. What we're going to see in chapter 3 is how does God respond? How does God respond to our disobedience? What we're going to find out is that God uses oftentimes our disobedience and the consequences that follow thereafter to test us. Before we do that, I want to pray. We're going to have our musicians come up and we're going to sing uh, songs of surrender, songs of submission, uh, songs of worship to Jesus. And so uh, musicians, come on up and if, if you would pray with me now. Father, we, uh, 
we confess that we, uh, as your people, often feel the sting of sin and disobedience in our life. Father, we are often very much like my niece um, who cries because she's in time out, uh, but we really don't care to kick the sin out in our life. Father, I pray that you would move in a mighty way, that you would teach us, God, how to be obedient children uh, because your standards are good. God, your commandments are holy. Father, you don't desire uh, to chain us. You desire to free us. You desire that we live life the way it's meant to be. And that is in right relationship with you, in obedience to you, knowing you, seeking you for our joy. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us that. And as we endure the pain and the consequences of our sin and our disobedience, Father, I pray that you would use that to test us so that we would repent and turn back to you, the source of life and all good things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I would ask the kids, go ahead and head out to Children's Church. I think Penny's taken that, and so feel free to head on out. And uh, for the rest of you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be uh, flip one chapter over. Judges chapter, uh, Judges chapter 3. So we've seen uh, that the result of disobedience in our life is tears. God rebukes us. There are consequences. There's pain. Uh, the redemptive side of this is that God not only allows us to endure the consequences of our sin, but um, responds to that disobedience by a period of testing. We're going to see this in verses 1 through 6. I want to share a quick story about uh, Abraham Lincoln since we are in Illinois, the land of Lincoln, is it not? At least that's what the signs say when I drive around. Um, The story goes like this. He had a secretary of war at the time, and the last guy's name was Stanton. And so Mr. Stanton was complaining uh, to the president uh, several times in a row, numerous times, about a fellow officer. They didn't get along. He had been harmed by this officer. They didn't see eye to eye. And so he would complain to the president. And so the president uh, invited him to do this. He said, why don't you write him a letter uh, expressing your anger uh, to this man. And so uh, Mr. Stanton said, sure, that's a great thing. And so he went off and he wrote this pretty scathing letter uh, to this fellow officer. And so he put it, uh, you know, sealed it, however they used to do back then. Uh, it was ready to go. And so he uh, talked to the president and the president said, well, what do you plan to do with that letter? And the uh, Mr. Stanton kind of looked at him oddly and said, well, I plan to send it to him. And uh, Lincoln said this in response. He said, burn the letter. Burn the letter. And I'll quote him now. That's what I do when I have written a letter when I'm angry. It's a good letter. You had a good time writing it. And you feel better. Now burn it and write another. Wise words from our president, former president, that is. Um, Here, we see that oftentimes, as illustrated by the story, uh, when we are angry, when we are hurt, when someone disobeys us, um, we can often respond rashly. We can often respond not nicely, uh, wrongly, um, in harsh anger towards them when we are hurt or when uh, our will is disobeyed. Uh, But that's not the case with God. God never responds rashly or wrongly to our disobedience. In fact, he responds always rightly to that. And so the question is, uh, for this last shorter section in in chapter 3, is how does God respond to our disobedience? Well, I think what we're going to see in uh, really a couple a couple verses from chapter 3 is that God does this. He allows us to endure the consequences of our sin, and he wants to use that as a testing period. It's like a trial. He wants us to endure those consequences to see how we are going to respond. Are we going to repent? Are we going to recognize our sin? 
our disobedience? Are we going to confess it and get right with him and change our way? Or are we just going to continue with it? We see God doing this. Uh, the narrator of the book of Judges tells us that this is, God, this is one of God's purposes for allowing the people of the land to stay in the land. I want to read a couple of verses from this section. Let's start with verse 1. So he gives a commentary. Now these are the nations that the Lord left. Remember the Canaanite nations that God chose to leave in the land as a consequence of his people's disobedience. Now these are the nations that the Lord left. Notice the key word. To test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. And so he says um, in verse 1, this is what, one of the reasons why I'm leaving them in the land. This is one of the reasons why I'm allowing God's people to experience the consequences of their sin. It's so that, so that he might test them. If you continue reading, he lists these nations as he introduced. These are the nations, and so he lists them in verses 3 and 4, excuse me, 2 and 3. And then after listing the nations, we really see a little bit further uh, clarity on this redemptive idea. Verse 4, it says this, it should be behind me. Uh, they were for the testing of Israel, reiterating idea. They were this idea of testing. They were for the testing of Israel. What does he mean by testing? He tells us. To know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And so we see very clearly, God was testing his people. He was responding to their disobedience by testing them. Would they continue in their disobedience, continue to make covenants with the people, continue to uh, intermarry with them and worship their gods? Would they continue in their rebellion or would they not? Would they respond in repentance, in renewal, in obedience? The thing about, thing about testing, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, well, let's just say this. How many of you guys, when you were in school at whatever level, really enjoyed taking a test? Not a one. I can't believe it. Yes, yeah, shocking. Um, me neither. I didn't really like taking tests either. I don't think any of us really enjoy taking tests. Um, my mom was a math teacher. In fact, I had my mom for high school math for two years, and uh, she's a great teacher. She really was. And uh, but she really enjoyed giving tests. <laughs> Teachers love giving them. Students hate taking them. She thought that tests were fairly important. And so, as a teacher's son, I kind of got the, um, the background behind it. She would always say. Test, when, I give, when I give tests to my students, it's not a punishment. She'd always say, when I give a test, it's not a punishment. I'm not doing it because I hate them or I don't like them, even though they may feel that way. When I, when I test, when I give tests, math tests, she'd always say this, I want to see where they stand. I want to see where they stand. That's what she would say. And what she meant was she wanted to know where they stood in relationship to the material, in relationship to doing their homework, in relationship to paying attention in class. She wanted to know the, the, the measure, if you will. She wanted to know where they stood. And that's why tests are important. Because if you give a test and a student does poorly, then you know where they stand in relationship to where they should be. Right? This is exactly, I think, what God is doing. When God allows us to endure consequences of our disobedience, he is testing us. You could say 
He wants to know where we stand with him. He wants to know where we stand. Are we making the grade, if you will? Are we right with him or are we not? So this leads us to our fourth principle, which we see on the screen. And our fourth and final principle this morning is that testing can lead us back to obedience. Testing can lead us back to obedience. And so in closing this morning, I want to ask us some questions. What, what, what are some of the consequences of your sin, your disobedience, that God may be leaving in your land, so to speak? What are some of the things that God is allowing to stick around in your life and endure to test you, to see where you stand? Your marriage may be a wreck. It may be really bad. But he may want to test you to see if you are learning to forgive like he forgives. Absolutely completely, unequivocally. He may want you to know if you can love a person when they are unlovely, even when he loves people who are unlovely. He wants to know if you will be committed to people who are uncommitted to him, just like uh, if you will be, excuse me, if you will be committed to people who are uncommitted, just like he is committed to people who oftentimes are uncommitted. Your family may be a circus, but he wants to know where you stand. He may want this to be an opportunity for you to actually finally step up and to be the spiritual leader that you're supposed to be, to set rules, to set guidelines, to set boundaries, to model your faith before your children. He wants you to to do that. Whatever it may be, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know how God may be testing you, what his areas may be, but I want you to know that there's a redemptive side to the consequences of our sin. God is testing us. He's giving us a test. Where do you stand? In closing, I want to ask, whatever that test may be for you, are you passing it? Are you making the grade? Let's pray together. We're going to take our offering in a second. Musicians are going to come forth to lead us in a song of repentance. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, 